If you want to make your own podcast but feel intimidated by the tech barriers, then you might need Alitu. Alitu is a web app that lets you create and publish great sounding podcast episodes. It takes care of the complicated stuff, leaving you free to concentrate on what you do best, talking about your passion. Alitu, the podcast maker app, find it at alitu.com. That's A-L-I-T-U dot com. What could your school do with $25,000? Hawaii Public School teachers apply for the Education Innovation Grant from Farmers Insurance Hawaii and the Public Schools of Hawaii Foundation to make your big idea a reality. The Education Innovation Grant fosters unique, innovative learning experiences benefiting teachers, students, and the greater community. The deadline to apply is May 30th. One Oahu winner and one neighbor island winner will be announced in October. To apply, go to FarmersHawaii.com slash Education Innovation. Imagine a place where students use media, creativity, communication, and critical thinking to make stories come to life. A place where authentic audiences are enlightened by the kids who live there. Hawk Media Productions at Kealakehe Intermediate School, located in Kona, Hawaii, is an example of that place where students strive daily for the summit. From school broadcasts, Hikino stories, community spotlights, and now podcasts, Hawk Media Productions hopes to inspire other schools to get involved in meaningful learning in the community and the world. Believe it or not, all schools have the students, teachers, and community partners to be the spark for what school could be in Hawaii. everyone, this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rapun. This is another of our On the Road episodes, and today we are with Leslie Witten, who is an education technology specialist at Lejardin Academy, a medium-sized independent school on the windward side of Oahu in Hawaii. Leslie leads school-wide technology integration initiatives that support 21st century teaching and learning methods for junior kindergarten through 12th grade faculty and the students they serve. This interview is coming to you during an extraordinary time in Hawaii. We on Oahu are experiencing a stay-at-home lockdown as a result of the threat of the COVID-19 virus, which, as of this interview, is a global pandemic. Just about every country in the world is experiencing cultural and economic disruptions, not the least of which is the education of children and young adults. Also, if you're noticing a downturn in audio quality, the COVID-19 crisis has forced us to switch to Zoom technology, so bear with us. You might hear a few screeching birds and other types of ambient noises. Hang in there. Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. So, Leslie, our format is called 10 Questions. So the following are 10 questions for you. Um, But before we start the formal questions, um, briefly tell us about the education journey that brought you eventually to Leisure Dan Academy and the position that you hold today. Oh, such a fun story. Um, I started teaching in the classroom over 20 years ago, I'm a credentialed classroom teacher, began my journey 
actually in an after school program, tutoring kids after school. And I come from a long line of teachers and um, education just is always something I wanted to do. And so I got my teaching credential a little over 20 years ago. Um, I went on maternity leave and the school I was at when I came back and I, I wanted to get back into the classroom, they didn't have a, a position in the classroom, but they did have the librarian job open. And my principal told me, Leslie, you would make a great librarian. I thought, we're well, just checking books in and out all day. I don't, I don't know about that. But it was right at the cusp of the digital revolution. And I got to bring in computers to the library and work with teachers and ramp up skills so that classrooms could more closely mimic what students everyday life was like and to close that digital divide and it was super invigorating to support teachers and um, to turn no we can't do that into yes we can and to watch kids come alive and so ultimately that resulted in you um, becoming um, a technology integration specialist at Leisure Dan um, and so we'll get into the specifics of your job a little bit later um, so um, before we start, um, before we jump into the questions, I'll share that I structured this, Leslie, in two parts. In the first half, and we'll take a break at the halfway point, a short break. Um, in the first half, we'll dig into the social, emotional, and conceptual aspects of this extraordinary moment in Hawaii. And then in the second half, we'll get to more of the technical elements of what distance learning means or online learning means, if that's okay. Um, so we'll, we'll do it that way. All right. So question number one, um, you are described by your director of education technology at Leisure Dan, um, that's Melissa Handy, um, as, quote, the person who makes everything happen. Um, so, Leslie, what do you make happen? And what's the scope of your job? And, and what are the general and even specific ways you support your faculty and staff and students? Wow. Thanks, Melissa. Um, well, you know, everyone, everyone has a different aptitude and a different history with using technology. And um, I remember being the Luddite and not being able to use the right words and how I was treated really mattered. And so when, um, when a teacher has just an idea but can't really express it or needing some help, being able to meet them right where they're at and help them understand just in, in steps how it can happen. I have a lot of respect for classroom teachers who are building lesson plans and doing assessments and meeting with parents and um, disinfecting tables and tying shoelaces, that if technology gets in the way, then it just stops. It's, it's not going to continue. So to be able to support in a way that allows them to keep doing what they do best is really what I try to do. So whether that's um, sort of as an emergency because something is not working as it should and being able to fix that in the moment, or whether it's taking that idea, this is what I'm trying to achieve with my students, but I'm not quite sure how to do it, to set up the back inside, to do the training, to go into the classroom and maybe run the first few lessons with the teacher and the students making sure everyone feels comfortable until they're ready to fly on their own. 
Mm. So can you give us like a specific example without naming names of just like some moment where a teacher was going to take that step and you came in and supported that process of stepping over the line into technology and then going with something? Sure. I think um, most recently our school adopted Seesaw as an application for portfolios in the lower school. And, um, you know, introducing an app like Seesaw where every student is capturing their own learning and recording their voices and really has a lot of independence and autonomy um, can be a little bit overwhelming, you know, if the teacher's not sure how to um, troubleshoot. So one of the ways we attacked that is um, I met with a grade level of teachers and we brainstormed together and I heard what they were going to try to accomplish in this lesson. And we tried to troubleshoot what might go wrong. Um, then I created a visual um, chart for the kids to use so that they could become more autonomous and, and practice these skills and learn how to use them on their own. So it's that collaborative effort of knowing what's possible, but what's the reality in the classroom and then building those bridges. Do you ever talk to faculty about the why of a request that's coming into you? So let's say that I'm a, a faculty member with a couple of other people and we're interested in a portfolio process and we're interested in a technology that might support that. Do you, do you talk to them about the, or would you talk to me about the why of, of my initiative in that, in the early stages like that? Sure. The, um, the learning goal is always the heart of everything we do. And you can take an excellent teacher and take an excellent learning activity and tacking on technology is not going to make it better. Sometimes it has the reverse effect. So by understanding what the why is, what the objective is, mm. whether it be academic or social emotional or um, community driven initiative, how technology enhances that experience um, mm. helps people actually persevere when there are little hiccups along the way. Mm. So you actually see your role as possibly that kind of gentle checker, if you will, that there's an actual pedagogical process that's at work there, since you're seeing it from the technology vantage point, yeah? Sure, sure. Without, um, without having that why, without having that ob objective, it's, it's easier to miss the mark. Mm -hmm. Having that goal clearly in line, then you may, you may find out that that technology tool is not the best one. Maybe you need to reroute and pick a different, mm. a different tool. And that's certainly been the case as we've been preparing for distance learning. Mm. And sometimes you might use the tool and then find out later that it's not the right tool. Um, and at that point, you're, you're back to the drawing board, but learning from the failure, if that's what you want to call it. Right. Right. In situations Personal like that, flexibility, always right. Tooling. right. Okay, so awesome. Uh, great segue to question number two. So, Leslie, you've been described by a colleague um, on your campus as the quote, calm crisis manager. And I'm sure up to this point, we're talking about localized crises of somebody's laptop not working, or a particular software is not functioning, or something's not happening the way it's supposed to. Um, there's no doubt that we're in a moment of crisis all across our public, private, and charter schools here in Hawaii, which have closed physically here in the spring of, of 2020, but shifted to online learning possibly through the end of the school year. 
So I want to tackle this crisis head on by asking you, what exactly is the central challenge of shifting so abruptly from in-person to formal distance learning? Okay, that's, that's an excellent question. I think that making sure that teachers know that they should keep doing what they do well at the heart of the shift. Mm, wow. Um, and if what they do well is to engage students, to um, create community, to provide experiences for deep learning to happen, to not become overwhelmed by that shift mm. to the distance learning, um, trying to stay calm and, and helping teachers to remember that just to create space um, to know that things are going to take a little bit longer, that there are going to be hiccups and challenges, and that's okay. Kind of take your foot off the gas and allow some of this experience to happen with grace and forgiveness as we get through it together. Mm -hmm. But what you do well won't change. So in effect, you're, you're, as a crisis manager, you're, you're trying to get teachers, your faculty members to understand that nothing changes really when you go to distance learning if you keep your eye on the North Star, which is your teaching, like what you do best. Um, right. and, and so there's a moment of grace there in between where you just have to, it's, I've, I've talked with other educators, Leslie, about the idea that, you know, like two canoe that are going in opposite directions of each other. And one was going along at a very steady, you know, speed, maybe 40 miles an hour. And the other one is going the opposite direction at 120 miles an hour. And somehow you have to jump out of one and into the other in the space of just a few seconds. Um, but it's not as if that other canoe is going to go past only once. You have time. It's not necessarily just a few seconds. You've got time to work your way across to the other canoe that's going in the opposite direction. Is that a fair way of looking at it? I think so. Time, time is the gift. So, so often time is our biggest challenge. That's the biggest resource. We're always out of time, right? Right. And, and so allowing ourselves time for the transition is important. Remember to just keep it simple. If you have your, your learning objective in place and what you're trying to accomplish with the kids to keep it simple and allow for that time process to happen for yourself to learn and for them to learn with open communication. Again, just really creating that space and grace to get through this. It's hmm. a learning point for all of right. us. Right. So, so here's a couple of follow-up questions to, uh, to question number two. I'm cheating a little bit here. Um, so it, it feels like, Leslie, it's just about too late to do any prior planning for this shift to online or, or distance learning um, because it's already here and schools are going back almost today, um, in fact. But what were some of the ways that Le Jardin Academy faculty trained for this moment? Um, what, what was the game plan for such a contingency for you guys? The administration worked really hard to make sure that they could create a framework for learning that allowed teachers to be able to personalize the experience that was true to their classroom. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important 
when students show up to the to the classroom or to the online platform for it to be true to that experience that they're used to in the classroom is um, that authentic pieces is, is comforting to them um, narrowing down the tools keeping it simple knowing that we need to communicate we need to see each other that there needs to be clear expectations for all parties involved and then looking to our international community we were lucky enough that we had many schools weeks ahead of us, six, seven weeks into actually teaching, and they were generous and opened up their learning mm. process to us. Mm. And we got to just jump in where they were six weeks down the road and stand on the shoulders of those giants. We have a lot to be grateful for, for those mm. schools that provided that framework. And your role was to be the, the intermediary in connecting to those international schools um, in, in whatever format, national or international, that were weeks ahead of us. You must have been having conversations with them about what they were doing. Yeah, they're not just me. Um, our curriculum coordinators, our principals, mm. our leadership team really dove in um, deep and hard and fast to connect and to get our school ready as quickly as possible to try to get ahead of it as much as possible. Um, you know, and, and having, being able to see these schools abroad that already had their distance learning websites up, that, are, that had already tested some of these tools and, and went one way and then redirected, you know, to follow, follow their path in the snow made it a lot easier. Wow. It's just so interesting, Leslie. I, just such a fascinating moment. I'm thinking about how schools sometimes, especially K-12 schools, struggle uh, in terms of the conversation that happens between elementary and middle and high school. But what you're describing to me seems like the, like the crisis moment has forced the school to look at its overall framework, what its, what its learning outcomes are and, and the way that it teaches and to treat itself as a whole school, which is often what communities do in a, in a crisis moment. They, they stop sort of differentiating themselves and come together. Did that, did it feel like that, that, or has it felt like that's been happening at Legendem? I think so, definitely. There is a whole community that has come together. And again, it's, it's honoring the differences within that community. So to create a framework where we lean back on the, the structure of our, our mission and our philosophy as a school community that parents and students already know, and then um, to then look at each division and what they're going to need to continue to do what they do well. Wow. Um, you know, so, uh, and then picking the tools and the platforms that allow that to happen. Mm, wow. Okay, so another, another follow-up question. It, it seems way too early to talk about quote-unquote lessons learned uh, while a large-scale human tragedy is unfolding in real time. Um, but it's hard to think about anything kind of else right now um, and the brain naturally looks for something useful to grab onto, like lessons learned. So in, in your mind, what are the lessons we need to learn from this black swan moment that nobody thought would ever arrive, but yet here it is? Is there Are there any preliminaries that are worth putting out there that would be useful to people? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to presume to have learned those lessons myself, because we are we are, we're just about to launch distance learning. It's coming mm. on Monday. We've prepared, but mm. we put the boat in the water, but she hasn't set sail yet. Yeah. Um, 
But I can tell you that from the community abroad, the lessons learned are to slow down, Mm. to expect less, to allow families to work through this together. Mm. We're going to have parents who are trying to work from home and be homeschool teachers and have sick children, possibly um, sick older generations. Um, And to really create the space for us to care for each other. We're seeing that across the board, communities understanding that education is important. Community is really important and caring for each other is paramount to all of it. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So good segue to question number three. So Leslie, it feels like what this particular moment demands is empathy. Um, So let's take this step in three parts. Um, I would actually say extreme empathy, given the the circumstances and the the wide scale of it. So part one is this. What do you imagine or know parents are feeling and thinking in this particular moment, this shift to home learning? I would imagine overwhelm is um, pretty consistent. I myself am am a parent. Friends that I have in other states are parents. They're already into distance learning. Um, You know, I think that one of the really great things about as a culture across the nation is, and internationally is, you know, we have high expectations for ourselves. Mm. We want to do the very best that we can. Um, And and so knowing that we want to, to perform, if, if we're even blessed to have the opportunity to continue to have employment, to be able to work from home, to be able to go to work. And I, uh, my heart really, really goes out to those who have lost that ability um, and the stress that that must bring to now mm-hmm. be home and to have children who are pent up and are used to being able to go outside and to have social connections there is going to be a lot of challenge that comes from this Mm. and the very real opportunity to do things in such a different way Mm. that we surprise ourselves with the possibilities Mm. of reimagining what school can be reimagining what being in the home as a family can be Mm. so what do you think students are feeling and thinking at this point and for you, right on the eve of launching your, your distance learning program, but just thinking even in general, public, private, and charter school students, what are they thinking and feeling in your mind? I believe um, there's a lot of intrepidation. What will this look like? How can I succeed? What are the expectations? What if my Wi-Fi drops? Um, you know, how can I stay connected? with my friends. For many of our students, learning is important, but the social connection is, you know, the heart of it all, getting to see each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, again, creating these opportunities in our classroom learning and our distance learning where that can still continue Mm -hmm. is going to be important. And what do you think your faculty, your staff, your administrators, are thinking and feeling right now? I mean, you probably know that as much as anyone given the position that you hold and the kinds of conversations that you've been part of, yeah? What are they they thinking and feeling at this moment? 
Um, I think that they might be grateful that this is spring break so they can catch a breather. Yeah. Um, people have been burning the midnight oil for the last month to two months, um, trying to be wise, trying to be prepared, trying to gather the correct sources of information to steer the ship in the, in the right way, to build the platform for the teachers and the students and the parents to stand on. Um, so I think that it's, it's nice to have spring break, just let's catch our breath for a minute and then we'll launch in and, and start paddling again. Right. You know, Leslie, I'm, I'm, there's so many things about this moment that strike me. And as a, as a former history teacher, um, there are a bunch of things related to history that are particularly striking. I've been thinking a lot about how the Industrial Revolution begins, and relatively speaking, in the mid-1700s, and then gains steam. And then over the next couple of centuries, it becomes the dominant paradigm, at least in the West. And, and it, what it did profoundly was separate work from home. Um, and it separated eventually in the 1800s um, work from school and school from home. So we have a moment that we're entering into here where the whole thing sort of gets blown out of the water. And we're reverting back to a time even before the Industrial Revolution when uh, when, the, when the phrase, it takes a village, was not cliche. It was, it was the operating system. So are you, are you seeing elements of that happening in your community, your, your extended school community at Leisureden? Absolutely. Um, Leisureden um, has community as its very core value. And um, seeing how families are still connected through all of this, um, offering support, um, bringing everyone together, there's solidarity in that. Mm -hmm. I think that when we come to unprecedented times, that's just a question mark. We don't know really what tomorrow or the next day will bring, but we do know that we need each other. And the more that we can um, take care of each other, protect each other's health, mm -hmm. support each other, share resources, the better off we're going to be. You're Leslie. You're a technologist, so you're you're intimately familiar with operating systems. Um, do you get a sense here, or to what extent do you do you see people again on the same question of empathy? Do you see people understanding that an operating system like we've we've made the jump from way back to Snow Leopard and Mac to you know Catalina here? It's just a massive shift in operating systems that they actually cognitively are aware that an operating system shift is underway for themselves, for their families, for their, for their kids, for learning, for work, um, for community. Right. And every human being is going to respond a little differently to that. Some people are going to be invigorated by that challenge. Yeah. Some people get the new computer and they just want to dive right into it and figure it all out. Some people just stare at it and say, I don't know what to do with this. Somebody help me. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I, what I love seeing across the board is this holistic wellness that's coming out of this. And how can we learn this operating system to continue the analogy? But how can we check in and make sure that there are balances and that we're taking care of our whole selves? as we progress down the path. Right. 
So related question number four, um, in a journal reflection a few days ago, um, posted at edutopia.org, um, the author, a teacher wrote, quote, now I wonder how we will be able to make instruction clear without being able to look kids in the face, end quote. So my question is, what's going through this teacher's mind as best you can figure? What, what are the SEL, the tech, and the curricular complexities of this moment for her? Well, when I, when I heard you quoting that, what popped into my mind was um, the long-held idea that artificial intelligence or the robots would take over mm. teaching, which we know is not true. We know that humans need humans. You know, we need eye contact. We need vibrations. We need to be able to exchange ideas and get into debates or laugh together. Um, it's how our brains are wired to construct knowledge socially. Um, so as we get into this distance learning, it's going to be important to remember those aspects of it. And thankfully, we have these tools that can allow us to type out clear, concise, simple directions to embed images, to include pre-recorded videos. To um, I was working with a teacher last week to, um, to do a simple audio recording using a, an easy open website, Vocaroo, just to create an MP3 so that as the student goes through the slides she's presented, I think she's a, a first grade teacher, as the student goes through and is reading these slides, a seven-year-old, precious seven-year-old, determined to do this on their own. They're hearing their teacher. That mm. is social-emotional support because they have a relationship with that teacher. And hearing that teacher's voice is going to encourage them to persevere. Wow. My, my daughter, Leslie, um, is a kindergarten teacher, first-year kindergarten teacher, um, in Marin County in California. The apple does not fall far from the tree. Um, and so the other day, they've obviously, they've been in shelter in place for quite a long time now in California, but especially in Northern California where it happened weeks ago. Um, and one morning I woke up and she had texted me a video that she had made for her students um, of just her singing the morning song, but asking them to sing along with her. And I, I just, I got choked up while I was watching it because it was such a natural instinct on her part to remain that this is why I brought up this quote from this teacher, to remain face to face with the kids as best as possible. So it sounds like the, the specific tip that you're offering here is make a video of yourself saying something so that they can keep in contact with your face and who you are and your expressions and all that. And, and your local technology person can help you do that. That's right. Yeah, maintaining those relationships and whether whether it's a pre-recorded audio or video message or, you know, having these great technologies like Google Meet and Zoom, bringing in either a whole class or a small group for a few minutes so the kids can see each other. Right. Um, it's these possibilities are going to help our students in their wellness in the long run, being able to connect to each other. Um, that's awesome. So, okay. So question number five, along the same lines, very much uh, an SEL issue as well, but it has a slightly darker kind of negative um, slant to it. So because you're that person who's known to be calm in a crisis, and this feels like an important moment 
to have you address one of the rampaging elephants in the room, which is equity. Um, emotions are really running high across the country, even across the world um, around this subject, and leadership is required. Um, across Hawaii and the USA, there are large percentages of households that don't have devices or access to the internet. Um, in other words, they don't have the tools to access distance learning. So, Leslie, what do we what do we say about this? What do we do about this from your perch in in your school? But as I know, you are part of the larger education community here in Hawaii. What what are your thoughts about this in this moment? I think in general, this crisis has brought about such a tremendous response from major organizations and companies that can help us offering free, um, free access to services, um, creating possibility where there was none. If there was ever a time for an organization to decide that they could help, this would be that time. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it happen. It needs to continue to happen. The digital divide that has been exposed is, um, I, their words can't express how serious it is. Hmm. And so one of the things that I worry about in this particular situation, I'm, I'm, I'm super hopeful that as you describe, organizations with resources will step up and bridge that gap and make it possible for kids to have what they need in terms of access and, and devices. Um, but I worry a little bit that there are organizations that are going to jump into the fray and seize the opportunity to sell their wares to schools. Um, uh, what are your thoughts about that? Um, you know, that this, that there might be opportunism in a moment like this. I think that's human nature. I don't think that that's something that can be avoided. Um, and, and yeah, the thought has crossed my mind as companies, for example, are offering premium access mm. to a certain feature. Well, what happens when the crisis is over? How, how we'll have to shift again. That's what's going to happen. We're going to have to shift again. And there will always be the people who are trying to capitalize um, at opportune moments for them. But I believe that there are more people looking to serve than to take. I have, um, and I woke up one morning and my, my feed on one of my social media sites was just a lot of fear and a lot of pandemonium and a lot of selfishness and um, people needing supplies that weren't there. And then there was the, the token post of my friend who was saying, if you need soap, I have extra. If you need a ride to the grocery store, I will help. If your child needs to borrow a laptop to do their schoolwork, we can share. And that light bulb went off. I was so proud of my friend, but I said, that is what we're talking about. We don't, we need the support of major organizations, but we also need each other. And how can we share resources, even door to door? Mm. Reach out to your community around you and find out who's in need and in what ways you might be able to meet that need. That's, that's fantastic. Hey everybody, stay with us. We're going to take a short break and come back with more questions for Leslie Witten. Hi, I'm Tyler Kern from Market Scale. We're excited at the arrival of a new podcast series out of Hawaii titled What School Could Be in Hawaii. 
MarketScale is thrilled to be partnering with Josh Rapoon on this project and can't wait to hear the insight and thought leadership he brings to EdTech. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can hear it and others over at MarketScale.com. You click on Industries at the top of the page and then scroll down to EdTech. Hope to see you there. Hey everyone, we are back with Leslie Witten, Technology Integration Specialist at Leisure Den Academy. So Leslie, question number six, I'm getting into the more technical elements of, of online education and noting uh, our radio audience includes professional educators and uh, our communities at large. Um, what is an LMS or a learning management system? Conceptually, how does an LMS work? And to what extent is the idea important to this particular moment here in 2020? So an LMS is going to be the place that you go to school. It's going to be the walls, the electrical outlets, the filing cabinet, the projector. Um, It's going to be the place where teachers post their lessons, students can find them, where resources can be shared and where assessments can be made. Um, It is the virtual classroom. And what happens in in the spaces that's different and what happens that's the same when you go to school in an LMS? You know, we've learned during this technology revolution that how things translate in text are not always how we mean them when we speak. So one of the things that's going to change, uh, that does change when you move online is the quality of communication. So the things that you say need an exceptional level of clarity and scaffolding so that a student of any age or their parent that's supporting them can clearly understand what to do first, second, and third. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that are the same are knowing where the homework bin is. Where am I gonna turn my paper in? Um, How do I ask for help? How do I raise my hand in an LMS? How do I get the help that I need? Um, And so sometimes these things look different, but the concept is the same. Um, knowing how to navigate your the LMS um, really is stepping, it's like any new operating system. It's stepping mm-hmm. back going, okay, what is it? I know that I'm trying to do this thing that just looks different. So how do I operate in this environment of accessing the learning, accessing the resources, asking questions, getting help, turning in my work, getting feedback so I can improve? and connecting with my learning community. Mm. So it seems like the the DNA for understanding how to do that is sort of already there. I mean, when you make a transition from the sixth grade to the seventh grade, if your middle school is seventh and eighth grade, you're you're transitioning from one LMS to another, possibly quite different. And yet the DNA is really the same. You, You just have to figure out where the bins are and what the levers are that you have to push or how to raise your hand. That's just, that's so cool to think about it that way because it reduces stress. You can just think, and, and, and then back to your earlier point, which is slow it down, 
take your time on this thing, take a breath as you go through and take a minute to kind of figure out the lay of the land as you, as you come into it. Um, right. One of the things we're asking teachers to do is the very first thing is um, just sign on with your kids. Can you see this announcement and say good morning back? Can you watch this video and answer a question? To keep it simple as we take our steps forward. And then you'll know as you, when you can speed up because you'll have that foundation of skill with your students. And at the same time, you, you might be, or you might not be, but very likely you might be a parent who's starting to do distance work because you can't leave your home. So in effect, you're figuring out two things at the same time, but they're so similar to each other. Um, as, as I've watched my wife convert her, she's a publisher of a business magazine, convert from working in an office and leading a team in a physical space to leading a team you know, using a particular video technology. Um, it's just incredibly fascinating. They're figuring it out together as a collective brain. But there's also those hilarious moments where the cat walks over the keyboard or, you know, somebody accidentally keeps their camera on when they go to pee or something like that. You know, it's just there's there's lots happening in that moment. I guess what I'm picking up from you is just really pay attention and be present in that moment and kind of see what's going on as it unfolds in front of you. That's that's that's, right. Engage your students and um, to start simple, to take it slowly to allow for frustration and to normalize it, right? To, um, to really honor the, ex- the experience of each person, including your own, you know? Right. The, the cat jumping on your keyboard or, uh, you know, the bird outside my window right now squawking so loudly that I'm <laughs> audio. Like, it's just, these things are going to yeah. happen. So right. more patience and humor, we can interject. We can all make um, a ton of memes off of what's going to happen in these next oh, few boy. weeks. There's going to be an explosion of memes. There's no doubt about it. Um, awesome. So question number seven, and that this is kind of along the same lines. So Leslie, let's say that you're a traditional, quote unquote, music teacher or science or math or history teacher, public, private, or charter. And by traditional, I mean direct instruction at the front of the class, more or less, assessment by traditional means via tests or papers and possibly uh, a project, a semester-ending project. So I'm, I'm, I'm painting uneasily with a broad brush here. Um, I mean educators that have not embraced education technology innovations, especially any form of distance learning. Um, These are educators who might be particularly stressed by a shift away from the physical classroom. So the the speed of COVID-19 means that there's literally no time for these folks to adjust. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but what are are two parts to this question? What What are the words of wisdom to them as they suddenly realize uh, yeah, that, they're, that the, the moment is here and there's no delay. And then like, what are two specific things that you would want them to do in that moment, um, really specific things that you would want them to do that kind of normalizes the experience for everybody involved? Okay, the words of wisdom that I, want all teachers to really take to heart is that what they do, they do well, and they can continue to do that. This shift is going to be challenging, but it is not going to diminish their value as an educator. 
Um, the two things that I would recommend. My, the, first, the first thing I would say is um, to take on a challenge. Be open to trying one new tool. Mm-hmm. One new tool. So if, if you're used to delivering certain expectations, you're used to having students interact with a learning medium, be it a textbook or um, class lecture or more of those traditional forms, all of those things are accessible from your online platform. What is one thing that you can do to create connection? The connection is going to um, bolster your students and support them in their social emotional learning and allow them to connect with the human side of learning. So using a tool, for example, like Flipgrid, Mm -hmm. if you want that student to be able to tell you what they know, Using a tool like Flipgrid, they can record themselves and tell you what they know. You have enough information to assess. What you also have is an ability for students to see each other and to connect together and to have community online and not be so isolated. And and if I say to you, Leslie, okay, I, I don't know what Flipgrid is, and that, that really stresses me out to think, like, what, what is Flipgrid and what do I have to do? Your response would be? Let me introduce you to my favorite auntie. Her name is Auntie Google. <laughs> auntie Google has so many great answers. And to, to YouTube, she'll tell you how to do it, too. Right. So by typing in Flipgrid, Um, And particularly in these challenging times, typing in what you need to know with distance learning or COVID-19 or school closure, going to Google and typing in Flipgrid distance learning, you'll find that these tools have created one web page of resources just for you Hmm. to give you the basic training to help. Um, help you understand how to use it. And many of them are giving you example lessons to try right away with your students. Hmm. A lot of the ed tech communities are really coming together to lessen the learning curve and to help teachers try these new tools. Normally that would feel daunting or impossible to give them that one little leg up to give it a try, remembering to have humor and grace and forgiveness when there are blunders, but to give that tool a try. Mm. You know, a couple of follow-up questions that just, it strikes me in this moment as I listen to you that I might be worried about the traditional teacher who is not tech savvy, quote unquote. Um, But really on the other hand, it might be the, the faculty member who's been, doing project-based, problem-based, challenge-based, inquiry-based, product-based learning, that they also might be pretty stressed out by this moment because it's just as much of a paradigm shift for them because of the extent to which they rely on, on kids being in a physical space, working on projects or working on challenges. What do you think about that? I would agree. And in fact, you know, Leisure Dawn Academy is highly collaborative and inquiry-based and project-based, problem-solving-based. And um, 
one of the things we're very clear about is the magic that we're able to create in our classrooms is not going to be 100% replicable in a distance learning scenario. So we do have to shift on either side um, and look towards these tools that allow for collaboration hmm. and for connection so that teachers on whatever side of the, the pendulum they are, honoring their expertise, their craft, and using simple tools that will help translate hmm. to distance learning. It, it also kind of strikes me that um, we don't always have to operate in a crisis mode during a crisis, um, that we can look back or reach out to people who've been doing things for a while. So I was just thinking about, there's somebody that you and I both know, Mike Travis, who um, was my um, education technology director at La Pietra Hawaii School for Girls when I taught there. And I remember, this was way back, I don't know, 2005, 2006, when I was really struggling with the idea. It felt like a crisis to me that I had these awesome Socratic discussions happening in my classroom, but then the bell would ring and we, we, none of us in class wanted the discussion to stop. And so I just had a simple question for Mike was like, how do I keep these discussions going? And he was like, oh, there's something called NiceNet here. Let me show it to you. And boom, within a couple of minutes, I had a login and I had, an, I had a way for the kids to keep on talking to each other to discuss these issues long after class was over. So I, I say that just in thinking about how this is a moment where we can touch base with people who've been there with through their own moments of, of crisis as they try to flip from one thing to another to try to extend something that they've already got some experience in that. And, and think, think about the process because that process is what's replicable and what's scalable is you had this feeling, it felt like overwhelm, it felt like a crisis. And so you identified that there was a problem and you connected with someone who could help you. Mm -hmm. So as teachers, you can connect with your curriculum coordinator, you can connect with your partner teachers, your, um, you know, the administration, your support staff, your professional learning network, connect with these people that you know, and be vulnerable about what you're experiencing and allow for other people's input to come in and, and be a risk taker, try mm -hmm. one thing with your students knowing that it may fail. And that's okay. And we can try something else if that's the case. It may also be spectacular. I think, I think what worries me a little bit is that we, let's just take a large high school like James Campbell High School, which is the largest public school in the state. Um, I, I worry a little bit that there is no intimate IT director or, I, or technology specialist like you to reach out to. But then it sounds like you would just say, go back to Auntie Google again or to, to YouTube, right? Because you do have a technology specialist. They're out there in droves um, and they have a lot, to, a lot to offer very much. And that community is stepping up in massive ways. Um, you know, if, if people ever use uh, Twitter, um, just hashtag EdTech ed is gonna get you a lot of connections to people. Right. Um, a Google search, um, one of my favorite PLNs for a very long time is EdWeb, edweb.net, and the tutorials that come from that and the communities of learning, the professional communities of learning 
um, there's a lot of resources out there. So if you don't have that built into your school, consider tapping the digital community. Mm. At some point, Leslie, I'll have a side conversation with you about something that Ted Dintersmith, who is the guy who inspired this podcast with his book, um, and Sir Ken Robinson have been working on for a year. It's called Go Boundless um, at goboundless.org. So it's it's a PLN project, and um, I'm super excited about that. But the but you, to, to your point, the, the professional learning community doesn't have to be on your campus. It can it can be quite extended. It could be anywhere in the world, really, if you just reach the resources. Um, that's great. So, okay. So question number eight. Um, at first, as we, as we all contemplated going to online instruction, it, at least I was trying to pay as much attention as possible. So um, there was almost no talk of tests ranging either from quizzes all the way up to the, the mega SAT. And then just a few days ago, really, or a week ago, all of a sudden, we're hearing that tests are out or optional, or as in the case of AP, suddenly they're shorter and online and only focusing on the early part of the course or something like that. Um, and I will raise my hand right here to our radio audience and confess that I am uh, I'm not a fan of tests and as a way of measuring success. Um, so I, I see this as a pretty stunning moment. Um, so what are you doing at Le Jardin to prepare your faculty to assess learning in a moment like this where you can't gather the kids together and deliver um, um, a summative assessment or even a formative assessment that's done um, synchronously together. What are you guys doing to get ready for that? I'm gonna get back to you in a couple of weeks on that when we're actually <laughs> in the assessment mode. No, um, I think that uh, as an international baccalaureate school, we have been big proponents of feedback um, and rubrics. And so that's not gonna change for our school. Assessment is formative. It is not necessarily the high stake exam at the end of a unit. Um, assessment happens all along the road. So that's not going to change. And um, so we know in, in preparing for distance learning, we have been talking about things like feedback and using that formative understanding to um, inform how we what we're including in our instruction. Mm -hmm. um, high stakes testing the, the IB exams for our, for our seniors. Um, it is breaking news now that those are being um, postponed. Wow. Or question mark. So it is a huge time of change. I can't pretend to have all the answers. Um, but it does bring up the question of how do we assess? How do we know what kids have learned? And is it a multiple choice test? Is it a student on Flipgrid telling me mm -hmm. the things that they've learned? How do we provide for academic honesty? How do we ensure that there's academic honesty? All of these conversations are happening right now. Wow, so the, the crisis is really forcing a series of conversations that maybe we've been putting off for a little while, um, but we but we can't anymore, especially if if it goes on as long as people think it's going to go on. Um, we won't be able to put those questions off for very long. Um, yeah, wow, that's super interesting. So, okay, so 
I've been researching what happened in China, lastly, um, during, and you've, you've talked about this a little bit earlier, but during the initial uh, outbreak of COVID-19, it's like super fascinating how education communities responded. Um, many of the conversations have been around synchronous versus asynchronous learning. Um, synchronous means occurring at the same time. Asynchronous means occurring at different times. So to your educator colleagues out there in Radioland, um, talk about the challenges of these two concepts in the context of a shift to distance learning. Right. They, those are the buzzwords. The buzzwords right now. Yeah. How do we create successful learning environments? Um, and it's different for every teacher. It's different in different grade levels. Um, con a combination, perhaps, is going to be successful. There's there's challenges and rewards in both of those scenarios. So synchronous, when students are learning at the same time, means that they all have to be signed in at the same time. Their families have to be supporting that effort. Um, and there are some challenges in that, um, some real obstacles in everyone getting to their laptops and or their devices and signing in at 9 a.m. and, you know, um, participating in what the, the teacher is having them do. The reward is the connection. The reward is that live feed of hearing each other, of seeing the responses, of that it builds connection and community, which is important in a time of isolation. The flip side of that asynchronous is it allows for students to be more self-directed, for there to be flexibility in the day, for families to say, ah, oh, I don't have to have everyone on Zoom at, at, at nine o'clock when the baby's crying and the dog's running through the house and I'm supposed to be writing my work report. Um, asynchronous learning allows for flexibility, which has a lot of rewards. And what we're hearing from the communities that are weeks into this in most cases, I won't say all, but in most cases, it is better to create more asynchronous learning engagements with specific times to be together in synchronous learning. I think as the grades get, um, in, as students get older in the grades and the more advanced levels of high school in 11th grade and 12th grade, there will be more synchronous learning um, as teachers are delivering instruction um, via live lectures and, and lab demonstrations, those things are going to require synchronous learning. Um, but before that, having asynchronous learning activities that students can follow along at their own pace within their family structures, sprinkled with opportunities to connect and learn as a community, allows for more flexibility. And so that sounds like connecting it back to my last question, that um, we have this pretty priceless opportunity to look at what assessments look like when you're in an asynchronous situation and learning has become more personalized than individualized. Um, and for, uh, for faculty members, um, that's a very interesting process to go through. Um, yeah, so, so what are some of the nuances of that for a faculty member connecting those two together? 
Sure. I mean, imagine being a teacher, whether it's your first year or your 20th year, where you need to deliver an assessment and you're used to your kids coming into your classroom and sitting at their desks and you hand out um, the assessment for them to complete and turn in. And then you're used to grading that. Um, there are some ways that technology can somewhat mimic that, but that is, that is a shift. Mm. Um, and how teachers want to go about that is a very personalized experience for them. You know, comfort level for teachers, again, creating that authentic learning experience that that teacher brings um, while balancing those challenges is part of the quest. Mm. I, I remember, again, going back to my own experience as a teacher, that when I was at La Pietra, mobile devices hadn't arrived yet, believe it or not. Um, I was working one-to-one -one with laptops, but not mobile devices. And um, if my students were writing a paper, they all got turned in on the same day, at the same moment on that day. But later, when I went to Iolani and taught there, I was one of the team of people that helped Iolani go one-to-one -one with the iPad. Um, all of a sudden, that process of turning in the paper just it completely changed on a dime for me. So you you were required to turn in your paper, but for me that became a very fluid process of here they come, they're coming as a PDF. I'm going to use a, an an annotation program, a software, to annotate it and send it back to you. So I'm just I'm not looking at a stack of papers anymore. I'm actually just watching them come in and evaluating them. And you're, you're getting it back when I'm done, rather than me standing in class and turning them all back to people, which has always been a moment fraught with peril, right? Because people are getting their, their grades and all of that. So it seems like we have a highly nuanced moment here where we can explore some of those things, um, but a little bit low stakes because we're all being mostly gentle with each other about the fact that we're going through this. And it sounds like that's what's happening at Leisure Den as you guys go through it. Breaking news is breaking news, right? You got to deal with it. Yeah, I think so. And again, it, it comes back to this reoccurring theme of space and time. Yes, there's a due date and there's a due, there's a, a period that uh, an end time that whether it's, you know, when the bell rings at 2.30, that the test is over or whether you have until midnight to submit it, it's allowing a period of time for students to be able to turn and work because we cannot anticipate what their home life is going to be like as they try to accomplish these tasks. Mm. One of my first experiences with online learning was in my graduate program and taking online classes. And how do you have a conversation with people asynchronously? How do you turn in papers what is a due date all of a sudden and it's not just at the end of class it's you're given a time frame and it's that space in time that is the reoccurring theme we can do so many of the same things but allowing for a space and time for it to happen hmm. there's a couple of things i want to ask you about um uh, one has to do with professional development but but before that i'm, I'm working on several projects and um all of us together and now we're now starting to use slack um, which is an organizing tool um, i am so struck by the synchronous and asynchronous elements to these tools and i'm thinking that again a silver lining of this moment is that kids are going to emerge out of it maybe a little bit better prepared 
to work in environments where tools like Slack are the operating system um, and that there are synchronous and asynchronous elements to Slack. You might have a flurry of messages that happen all within a, within a minute, or you might post something and then you have to sit and wait for a day before somebody replies to something that you want to reply to right now. You know, there's, it's just so fascinating. And it, so do you, do you get a sense that, that coming through this, that we will be maybe a little bit better off because the kids will understand everyone, the adults and the kids together are, are maybe getting a little bit closer to the way, quote unquote, the real world actually works. Well, I certainly hope that we're better off at the end of all of this. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of room for some wonderful things to come out of this, and understanding how we can work as a team and sort of fits and starts. And not everyone's moving at the exact same space or the exact same pace on the timeline, but you know, the flurry of activity there, the elongated time here, the the quiet the non-communication because that person is working and getting something prepared to yeah. then bring back to the table and the synergy that comes from that. Um, it is a different experience. Um, and, and some work environments will mimic that some work environments will continue to sort of follow the same flow, but anytime that we're given an opportunity to try a different cognitive process, a different experience to expand our tool set, we are better off for that. Mm. Awesome. So, wow, here we are. Question number 10. This has gone by super fast. Um, so, Leslie, this last question, I, I confess, sometimes I can be a worry wart. Um, and so this it's not a negative question, but it, there's a worry wart quality to this. Um, I'm worried not about traditional teaching, meaning direct instruction. Um, and with absolutely all due respect, I don't see direct instruction as particularly difficult to do online versus in the classroom. There are some adjustments that need to be made, but it's a pretty straight path. I'm worried about the gains that have been made in the past decade by folks who are practitioners of project-based, problem-based, challenge-based, the central question-based, product-based, place-based, culture-based, personalized, individualized, inquiry-based teaching and learning. I'm worried that these innovations will be subsumed or, or pushed back by a reversion to traditional instruction as the simplest form of teaching in this COVID-19 moment. So what are your thoughts about that? I see what you're saying in that um, in keeping it simple, there might be a propensity to sort of homogenize the experience. Um, I'm seeing and hearing from teachers at Leisure Dawn doing some pretty exciting things with personalized learning, mm -hmm. um, using heavily using choice boards, um, creating podcasts and audio casts for their students to choose from, creating resources, finding resources, asking students to make resources that allow, <clears throat> pardon me, that allow for personalization and um, differentiation in how students want to learn and express the learning. It does require some creativity. Mm -hmm. And again, that willingness to take risks. What we did before may not replicate, may not be scalable exactly how we did that in the classroom. Um, and, and it does remain to be seen how teachers can be creative 
there are so many brilliantly creative teachers out there. It blows my mind the things that they think of. And again, tapping into these digital professional learning networks. Um, so many good ideas are proposed and then shared. Here's a template. Here's a lesson plan. I already created this. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Use what I did. Um, so I think, you know, a large part of that is being open to the changes that will come and to lean into it. A lot of times when there is change, there is resistance um, or some fear, but actually fear can create massive amounts of synergy and creativity if you lean into it. Mm. What is possible? Who mm. can I talk to? How can we connect? And it doesn't even have to be adult to adult. Turning to your students, this is what we did before, I don't think this is going to work. Who has some ideas? Oh, they're going to have some ideas mm. and take ownership of that learning. Mm. So, okay. So one last follow-up question, because I hate to let this go. Um, so ever since I saw Most Likely to Succeed, Ted's Hedger Smith's film, and I, I first saw it in, I think, August of 2015, and then I began screening it here in Hawaii along with some other people, um, Ever since that moment, and then after he came out with his book, What School Could Be in April of 2017, I've been, I've been all over the islands, every corner of every island practically, and I've been saying that the genie is out of the bottle and you can't put the genie back, back in the bottle again, that, that 21st century teaching and learning, to use a pretty cliche phrase at this point, but with, with much meaning, um, is out of the bottle and it can't be put back in again. And I guess the worry wart element of me thinks that a black swan COVID-19 moment like this could stuff it back in the, in the bottle again. But you've just assured me that that likely won't happen because people believe in what they're doing. They're professionals, whether you're traditional or non-traditional, they really believe. So I guess the follow-up question is, what are some of the specific ways that educators can be in touch with each other um, in order to to sort of gain solidarity in the work that goes forward under trying circumstances, like for example, Twitter uh, or things like that. What are, what are some specific things that people could take away? There are communities, um, online communities on different platforms. So Twitter, there are many, many, many different communities on there. And if you will open up Auntie Google and ask her to search for Twitter communities with your particular subject or your grade level. Hmm. Um, that's a great way to start. Um, when I first started with Twitter, I found it overwhelming. There was a lot of information. I shifted gears and looked at Facebook. That was something more familiar to me. Um, and I found equal communities in Facebook. Um, I also, again, big shout out to a edweb.net that has been with me a very long time. It was wow. my first professional learning network, and I still belong to those communities there. Another really vibrant, wonderful, supporting community in terms of understanding technology and its value is the ISTE community. Hmm. And um, becoming a member there and using their professional learning networks is a part of my weekly routine. Hmm. Um, again, educators are so eager to be creative and to share that 
even just a little toe in the water, you will get many ideas and resources. Mm. I, I know that ISTE is what in July, right? Normally when, yeah, I'm really hoping that they don't just cancel, but that they completely retool the conference and develop it as a massive festival of teaching and learning that happens when you can't leave your home. Um, if there's any organization in the world that can do it, it would have to be ISTE, right? That's um, right. They're the role models. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So Leslie Witten from Dan Academy here on the Windward side of Oahu, thank you so much for being part of this conversation and for being part of the uh, On the Road edition of the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. This has been great. Thanks so much for having me. 